Good morning, church. My name is Marwan. I serve as one of the pastors here at the church. And let me uh, begin by just saying uh, what a joy it is to be with you, to, to gather together. I'm glad to see you today, uh, especially after last week's sermon. Uh, I wasn't sure how many of you would return uh, after listening to a sermon titled Salvation Through Judgment. Uh, it's okay for us to say it was heavy, to say it felt heavy. It's the book of Zephaniah. We're in a minor prophet. It's, it's meant to be. But I also hope that it speaks to the importance of preaching through whole books of the Bible. When pastors pick and choose on what to preach on, you can be certain that they will lean towards certain topics and avoid more difficult or uncomfortable topics. And so preaching through a book with the aim to exposit it for what the text is saying allows us all to hear the whole counsel of God, and this is a good thing. The themes of judgment in the Bible have never been popular, uh, but they are clear and they are consistent. They don't change. Uh, They don't come and go like fashion, for example. Uh, Most of you know a favorite dessert of mine. Uh, If if you don't know, I'm sure you can just ask one person uh, near you and they will answer and let you know uh, what my favorite dessert is. Did someone say cheesecake? That's, you all know, that's, I mean, I like cheesecake a lot, but knefe, if you don't know. Uh, but, but I don't know if any of you know a favorite fashion accessory of mine. Now, my wife does, uh, and we agreed early on in our relationship that I would never wear one, nor own one. They weren't popular at that time, but they are popular now. Uh, I can't refer to it by its American name because it doesn't sound right to British ears. Uh, it's, a, it's a waist pack. It's a, it's a side pouch. Right? People now wear them even across their shoulders and across their chest. And here's the thing. They're just so practical. Right? They're, they're, that's why I've always loved them. If I've ever done anything that's maybe resembling cool or hip or anything, it's because I'm just a practical person. Um, but they're only cool for about two to three years. And then they're uncool for about 20 years. So you just wait and see. Uh, Popular today, but not tomorrow. And that's just the nature of fashion, isn't it? It's the nature of trends. They come and they go. This morning I was uh, chatting a bit with my brother who lives in L.A. Uh, And he was telling me how people are going crazy over Stanley Cups. It's like like a thermos. Yeah, so you guys are nodding your heads. Uh, The clothing brand Diesel uh, is super popular right now. Uh, I don't don't know anything about any of these things. But what we can see is that seasons change. Nations come and go. Heaven and earth will pass away, but the word of God will remain forever. Now, our topic today, as you can see, the sermon title is another difficult one. Uh, Sin and the wrath of God. Uh, I guess, actually, amen. Um, so we're, we have the kids with us this morning, which means anytime you hear a baby making noise, remember Jesus' words when he said, let the little children come unto me. And we'll rejoice together that they're here with us this morning. And kids, I'm going to talk to you in just a minute. Sin and the wrath of God, I guess really those are two difficult topics. And so uh, you get a two-for-one special uh, today, this morning. Now kids, I'm glad that you're with us this morning. And I'm happy that once a month that you will be joining us here for the sermon time together. And so let me explain to you two words 
uh, that we're going to be talking about and what they mean. And so I'm chatting to the kids, parents and grown-ups, don't listen to this at this time. Two words that we can define, sin and wrath. Sin is the breaking of God's law, and wrath is God's holy response to sin. So sin is the breaking of God's law, and wrath is God's holy response to sin. Now, what we saw last week as we looked at the book of Zephaniah, and we're going to see it a lot more clearly today, is that God hates the bad and wrong things of this world. You see, because God is good, he has to punish bad. If he didn't, that would mean that he's bad and that he's okay with bad things like people being hurt or unkindness or being mean, stealing. Now, some people have a hard time with the idea that God judges sin. And they think that that makes him a bad God. But actually, it shows that he is a good God. He hates bad things, and so he comes against them. God hates death, and so he comes against it. Now, I wonder if you know the story of Jesus and Lazarus. Lazarus was Jesus' friend, and he died, but Jesus raised him from the dead. Now, when, when he heard, when Jesus heard that Lazarus was sick, he knew that he would die, and he knew that he was going to do a miracle to raise Lazarus up from the dead. But there is something that's curious about the story. When Jesus went to Lazarus' tomb, we're told, Jesus wept. He cried. And so we ask ourselves, why would Jesus cry if he knew that he was about to bring his friend back from the dead? Well, I think it's because it shows how much he hates death. It shows how much Jesus hates the bad and the broken things in this world, the bad things that come from sin. So here's going to be the main point of the sermon. This is what I want you to remember. God's wrath against sin is good and helps us to love Jesus more. God's wrath against sin is good and helps us to love Jesus more. More And okay, now, grown-ups, you're welcome to start listening again. I hope you didn't hear anything I, I talked talk to the kids directly about. Now, the main point for you is a bit different. It's a bit more concise, but it's similar. It's the same sermon, same main point. The wrath of God displays the love of God. So if you're taking notes, that's our main point this morning. The wrath of God displays the love of God. And, and with that brief introduction, let me invite you to join me in prayer as we go to the Lord. Father God, we thank you for making yourself known to us. Lord, the things that we love and the things that we are not sure how to respond to, the difficult teachings of your word. And so, Father, this morning as we recognize we're going to consider sin and your response to sin, your wrath, Father, help us to see you, Lord. Help us to receive the truths of your word. Lord, as Randall prayed, Lord, give us eyes to see Jesus this morning through your word. And we believe that you are faithful to do so because you are a faithful God. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning, if you are taking notes, we're going to consider the theme of sin and wrath in three parts. The seriousness of sin, the wrath of God, and the cross of Christ. 
So if you take notes, those are going to be our three outline points. The seriousness of sin, the wrath of God, and the cross of Christ. Number one, the seriousness of sin. Now, the second point on the wrath of God will develop this point even more deeply because God's response to sin shows us how serious sin is, right? But we'll begin by looking at the text and considering the sins of the people. So if you have your Bible with you, we're in Zephaniah chapter 1, verses 2 through 13. You can follow along in the bulletin or on the screen or in your Bible, of course. Zephaniah chapter 1, verse 2. I will completely sweep away everything from the face of the earth. This is the Lord's declaration. I will sweep away people and animals. I will sweep away the birds of the sky and the fish of the sea and the ruins along with the wicked. I will cut off mankind from the face of the earth. This is the Lord's declaration. I will stretch out my hand against Judah and against all the residents of Jerusalem. I will cut off every vestige of Baal from this place. The names of pagan priests along with the priests. Verse 5. Those who bow and worship on the rooftops to the stars in the sky. Those who bow and pledge loyalty to the Lord, but also pledge loyalty to Milcom. And those who turn back from following the Lord, who do not seek the Lord or inquire of Him. Be silent in the presence of the Lord God, for the day of the Lord is near. Indeed, the Lord has prepared a sacrifice. He has consecrated His guests. On the day of the Lord's sacrifice, I will punish the officials, the king's sons, and all who are dressed in foreign clothing. On that day, I will punish all who skip over the threshold, who fill their master's house with violence and deceit. On that day, is the Lord's declaration, there will be an outcry from the fish gate, a wailing from the second district, and a loud crashing from the hills. Wail, you residents of the hollow, for all the merchants will be silenced. All those loaded with silver will be cut off. And at that time I will search Jerusalem with lamps and punish those who settle down comfortably, who say to themselves, the Lord will do nothing, good or bad. Their wealth will become plunder and their houses a ruin. They will build houses but never live in them, plant vineyards but never drink their vine. Now, there's a lot to consider. We did consider much of it last week as we thought through the theme and the work of God. So this morning we're going to be zooming in, especially on this point, on the sin, the seriousness of sin. And it's really important for us to, to note that God is the one who determines and defines what sin is, not, not ourselves. Some of these we'll repeat in chapters 2 and, verse, and in chapter 3, but, but we won't read them. Let me just kind of list off some of the things that we read in Zephaniah. Pagan rituals, turning away from God, violence, deceit, arrogance, rebellion, complacency, and the list could continue. Now we're going to consider three broad categories that we see in this passage in just a minute, but we need to know that because sin is serious, we can't go around calling everything a sin. Let me say that again. Because sin is serious, we can't go around and just call everything a sin. For example, heresy, which is any teaching that goes against the teaching, the right teaching of Scripture, is a serious sin. But just because someone disagrees with you about something, 
doesn't mean that they're heretic. We can consider modesty as another example. Modesty is good and important. But just because someone differs in their fashion sense doesn't mean that they're sinning, whether it's in fashion or not at the time. Right? If, if we go around calling everything we don't like or agree with as a sin, what it does is it lessens the seriousness of sin, and sin is serious. It also needs to be said that we can't disagree with God on what sin is. If, if we are followers of Christ and God declares something to be sin, we cannot ignore it. No matter what we feel or what the culture says. Let's take drunkenness as an example. In many places, both Old and New Testament, we're commanded not to become drunk. Right? Not to drink excessively. And it talks about, and the reasons for us uh, include self-control, uh, excessive indulgence, the importance of being filled and controlled with the Spirit and not with some other substance, right? But there is a sinful tendency within us, with either drunkenness or whatever the sin may be, to say, well, there has to be an exception. Right? Some, some would say, why can't I just get drunk every once in a while if I'm making sure to be safe and I'm not going to drive and I'm kind of around friends? Why does it matter if I'm not hurting anyone? Right? Isn't that the way that we often look and think of sin in those categories? Friends, if God calls something sin, we must also call it sin. And the whole idea that some sins are okay because they're not hurting somebody is one of the biggest deceptions. And we fall into it too easily. It's good and important for us to remember that all sin is ultimately against God because God is alone holy. God is the maker of the law. And so all our sins, the things that are seen, the things that are not seen, ultimately are against God. I said we're going to consider three categories of sin from our passage. The first of the three I want to highlight is idolatry. Idolatry. Look again with me to verse 4 and the beginning of verse 5. I will cut off every vestige of Baal from this place. The names of the pagan priests along with the priests, those who bow and worship on the rooftops to the stars in the sky. Now, idolatry in the Bible is one of the greatest sins because it replaces the true God with gods that aren't real. Now, in the Bible, when we read about idolatry, it's, uh, it's, it's right for us to think of carved statues, right, that people will make or purchase and they bow down in front of in worship. Big ones, little small ones that you can put by your bed. People made them believing that they had some sort of power, and so they worshiped them. Now, this, this kind of idol worship does continue throughout the world, even today. I, I just was reading the other day a report uh, from a pastor in Cambodia. And he wrote that when someone from Cambodia, who comes from a previous and a different faith, comes to faith in Christ, they take all the idols that they owned, they gather them up, they put them in the middle of the street, and they, they light them on fire. They, they destroy them as a simple sign that they no longer believe in anything other than God. But it's not only figurines that should come to mind when we think of worship. We see even in the verse that they went onto their roofs and worshipped the stars. These are people who heard the stories of God, 
who created the stars. These are a people who God has revealed these things to them, that he's the creator of the trees, that they would cut down and carve into idols and stones. He's the creator of everything in heaven and earth, and yet they are worshiping the creation and not the creator. Now, when we think of worship, it's, it's not just about praying and praising something or someone, but it's ultimately a sort of putting your hope into that thing. Right? You put your hope in whatever you're worshiping, whatever is an idol in your life, for security, for peace, protection, comfort, salvation. And if we take a moment to think about it, the sin of idolatry doesn't sound so foreign to us when we put it in those terms. It reaches a little closer, doesn't it? Now, I would imagine most of you have never bowed down in worship to a statue, but many of us look for peace and hope and security in things other than God. We strive after success and money because we think that will fix our insecurities. We idolize education because we think it will give us some sort of status and, and stability that we so desire. We take the good things that God has given us and we elevate them to a place as the most important thing, to places they're not supposed to be. That is idol worship. And we need to repent of our idolatry and turn to God. Now, the reason idolatry is a sin is because there is only one God, and He is a faithful God who has shown His faithful love to us. And when we turn away and worship false gods, it's not only disastrous to us because we're worshiping nothing, but it takes away from the worship and glory that God deserves. Second, we see the sin of syncretism. Look with me to the second part of verse 5. Those who bow and pledge loyalty to the Lord, but also pledge loyalty to Milcom. So they pledge loyalty to God. They're saying, yes, we believe in you, Yahweh, the creator of heaven and earth, but also we will worship this other God, Milcom. So syncretism is about the blending of religions, the blending together of faiths. And maybe you can hear even the root word sync in that word. Right, to join two or more things together. And so syncing your phone to your computer or to your car radio is one thing. It works. It makes sense. Some religions allow for, for a blending of faiths and beliefs, but it doesn't work in Christianity. Now here's the thing, and here's the reason. Christianity proclaims the message of the one true God, the creator of heaven and earth. And the message of Christianity proclaims that there is one way to God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I know that some of us will struggle with this idea of inclusivity, inclusivity of Christianity, but, but friends, we either believe Jesus' words to be true or we don't. That's what it comes down to. That's why this is a sin. Now, syncretism is bad because it makes us unfaithful to God and to his commands. But it's not only that. It misrepresents the holiness of God and it misrepresents God's witness to the world. For us to say, yes, we worship this God, but also let's, let's together pursue other things. 
There's a lot more that can be said about synchronism, but for the sake of time, we'll continue to move on. But I'll say one more thing. If you add anything to the message of Jesus, and we considered this deeply when we went through the book of Galatians, if you add anything to the message of Jesus, then you completely take away the message of Jesus. So this is a serious sin because Christianity is a message of Christ alone. And if you believe anything other than that, Dear friend, the Bible will declare that you are not a Christian. Third, we'll consider the sin of apathy. Uh, zoom down with me to verse 12. And at that time, I will search Jerusalem with lamps and punish those who settle down comfortably, who say to themselves, the Lord will do nothing, good or bad. And again, this comes down... Uh, in, in a deep way to a disbelief in God and His Word and it mischaracterizes God. Again, remember, we are created in the image of God and we are called to reflect His image to the world. And, and so we ask, is God indifferent? Is God fine with sins generally and your sins specifically? Will He respond or will He not respond? Is God active or is He inactive? Friends, there's something really important for us to, to understand and to see here. What you believe about God directly affects how you live. That can be said about everything. This morning I was going to ride my Vespa to church. There is no chance of rain, my app said, until 10 p.m. I had the little sun icon with clouds. I looked outside and I saw blue skies, but I also saw dark clouds. So I have to make a decision, right? Every action is based on a choice, it's based on a belief. And so if it makes a difference in the small, ordinary, unimportant things, how much so with how we look to God? You see, they settled down comfortably and were apathetic and indifferent because they thought that God was inactive. He, he won't do anything. He won't do good. He won't do bad. He doesn't care how we live. And so they lived in an apathetic and complacent way. There's so many warnings here for us. There's a warning here about the appearance of godliness. Right? Godliness is good and it's a reflection of God in us. Anything good that we do comes from the Spirit who dwells within us. But some people have learned how to look good on the outside without ever looking at what's happening on the inside. And, and we can deceive ourselves that we are okay because we've gotten really good at pretending. Kids, this is good for you to think about. Obeying your parents is good and it's important. But if you only obey them when they're watching you, is that true obedience? It's easy for us to think that as long as we're well behaved in front of people, then we're doing good. But we need to remember that God cares about the heart. He cares about what you believe. And so with that, let's consider together God's wrath. Our second point this morning, the wrath of God. Friends, God isn't apathetic. He's not inactive. His wrath against sin and against our rebellion shows the seriousness and danger of sin and that God will respond. And I know that there's a temptation to soften any talk about God's wrath. But let's, let's be very clear 
and remember together that God doesn't need us to defend him or to explain him away. The wrath of God is a constant theme throughout the Old and the New Testaments, and so we can't avoid it or dismiss it. And as we consider God's wrath, let's start off by thinking what it isn't. The wrath of God isn't about Him getting us back. Right? It's not like your wrath. It's not about petty retribution. It's not about us or it's not about God losing His temper. Wrath is God's holy action against sin and rebellion. Wrath is God's holy response. It reflects His eternal will, His choice. It shows His emotion. It shows His purpose in His actions. Right? And God's wrath always has a result, and it results in judgment, in condemnation, and in death. D.A. Carson's teaching is really helpful on this topic. And he refers to God's wrath as a secondary attribute. How? Well, in that it's a response. What does that mean? It means that God is not wrath. God is not wrath. That's not who he is in his deep sense. Right? We can't speak about God as wrath in the same way that we speak about God as love. The Bible is very clear that God is love. Right? It declares that God is love because that's part of God's nature. It's who He is. The Bible also declares God as being holy, that He is set apart. He is different. And the wrath of God is tied to His holiness. Uh, let me share a quote from Carson on this. It's so clear. It's so helpful. You're going to want to write this down. God responds to me in wrath because of my sin. God responds to me in love because of who he is. It's good. I'm going to say it again. God responds to me in wrath because of my sin. God responds to me in love because of who he is. You see, wrath is God's holy response to our sin. Because he is holy, he has to judge our sin. And that's another reality that, that we need to understand. It's, it's an important aspect of, of rightly understanding the wrath of God as opposed to dismissing it because we don't fully understand it. In a way to soften the truth about God's wrath, we're tempted to say that the judgment and the destruction that comes is just a natural outcome of our sin behavior. Well, of course that's going to happen. If you touch fire, you're going to burn your hand. But judgment and hell aren't only about people's consequences for bad decisions. The Bible is clear that God is bringing judgment. It's very clear in Zephaniah that the Babylonians didn't just come in because of political changes and shifts and trends and fashion or whatever is happening. God in his sovereignty, as we considered last week, orchestrated all those things as an act of judgment on his people and also the surrounding nations. It's not that God just lets things unfold, which for some reason it's easier for some people to believe. If we really dig into that, it's actually terrifying to think that some things just happen outside of God's control, but that's, uh, that's for another sermon. 
It's good and necessary for us to understand that God actively punishes people for their sin. We read some of the destruction today. We covered it completely last week. It's clear for us to see what God thinks about sin. And remember, the, the judgment wasn't just foretelling about the Babylonians who came in and, and the exile of God's people. Right, That happened, that's true, a few decades after this prophecy, but it also speaks to God's final judgment. Now, why is this important to understand? Why is it important to believe the wrath of God and the judgment of God? How does this connect to God's love? You see, love isn't about mushy feelings or positive affirmations. It's not being accepted no matter what. Love is based in truth. It's based in action. As we look through the Old Testament, God keeps putting off His wrath almost until the last minute. Right? There's always a warning. There's always a delay. There's even a temporary turning away. As we understand the sacrificial system of the Old Testament, we know that that appeased God's wrath. Right, A sacrifice in our place that took the judgment of God, that appeased God's wrath, but only for a time. It was never enough. Right? God is holy and He is just and He has to, because He is good, He has to come against sin. But also God is loving and merciful and gracious, and so He delays. But there's a tension, and it comes together in a beautiful and incredible climax and culmination in the cross of Christ. Number three this morning, the cross of Christ. Let me begin by reading a couple of passages for us from the New Testament. <clears throat> I believe these are on the, on the screens for you. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 9. For a while we were still helpless. At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For rarely will someone die for a just person, though for a good person, perhaps someone might even dare to die. But God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How much more then, since we have now been justified by his blood, will we be saved through him from wrath? <clears throat> Without the wrath of God, which is, again, I'm repeating the same definition over and over again so we have a right understanding of God's wrath. Without the wrath of God, which is, his holy judgment against sin, we have to ask, what is the point of Christianity? Of any of it? None of it would make sense. You see, the reason it's so important to understand sin and the wrath of God is because we need a real diagnosis of our condition because we need a real cure. A, a tragedy of this generation is that sin is excused and explained away in incredible ways 
nothing is real anymore, it seems, because you can just determine your own reality. Because everyone is just affirming everyone. No one is held accountable for anything. Which means that if someone does feel conviction because they are created in the image of God, because if someone is feeling conviction for sin, it's just ignored because you are good as you are. We are all affirmed in whatever we want to believe about ourselves or about, about the world. Friends, think with me. How unloving would it be if someone had terminal cancer, but the doctor didn't want them to feel bad? And so instead of telling them the reality of their condition, they just tell them, well, maybe the wind hits your stomach a bit. It is cold outside. I think you just have a cold. Just drink more orange juice. Try to walk more. Right? We, we think ignoring hard realities is more loving than addressing hard realities, but it's not. Paul tells us in Ephesians that we are dead in our trespasses and sins and are, by nature, children under wrath. And if, if there was no wrath, there's no judgment, if this wasn't true, then, then none of it would be true. One theologian uh, describes what the gospel message, which is the good news of Christianity, this is what the good news of Christianity would be if someone ignored all these truths that we've considered this morning. I quote, A God without wrath brought men without sin into a kingdom without judgment through the ministry of a Christ without a cross. We, we, we are forced to ask, what would the point be of any of it? Friends, it is all connected, and that's why it's so important. That's why we will take time to consider some difficult things together out of God's Word. You see, the good news of the gospel doesn't make any sense and it doesn't have any power in our lives without the righteous judgment of God. The wrath and the judgment, the destruction that we read about in Zephaniah, all of that is reserved for us. But God poured it all out on Jesus. For, for the many of you who are part of the midweek community groups, we can think of the cross chart here, can't we? Right? Our awareness grows, or as our awareness grows of the seriousness of sin, down, right, the bottom line of the chart, and as our awareness grows of God's holiness and His wrath against us, we are called to look to the cross. And the greater that we understand the holiness of God and the wrath of God, the more that we can appreciate the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. And, as we've been considering together, the cross gets bigger, doesn't it? It grows in our eyes, in our understanding, and in our cherishing of it. Uh, Paul tells us in Romans chapter 5, verse 5, so this is just before the passage I just read um, a moment ago. Let me read that. Paul writes, God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who is given to us. Friends, listen closely. God poured out His wrath on Jesus so that He can pour out His love on us. I want to preach for another hour, but let me start landing the plane. 
You all looked terrified when I said that. Actually, no, you didn't. You looked like you could last with me a bit longer. Think with me again on the main point. The wrath of God displays the love of God. Right? God satisfied his own wrath, his holy judgments against sin through Jesus. And that's why Paul can declare with such confidence and such clarity in Romans 8, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so friends, brother and sister, if you are in Jesus, there is no longer any room for fear because God's holy wrath has been satisfied. Believing in his real wrath and that he poured it all out on his son frees us to love. And as we think of how we fight the sin, right, the serious sins in our life, it's from that position of acceptance and love and freedom that we're actually empowered to battle sins. When we more deeply understand God's love for us, we are able to see that everything that we're looking for is already ours in Christ. When we grow in our satisfaction and delight in Christ, the sins that are so tempting seem so ridiculous in comparison to Jesus. And so, brothers and sisters, look to Jesus. Remember God's greatest act of love for you, that he died in your place, that he took his own punishment upon himself. And the more that you dwell on these realities, I can say with the same confidence as Paul because these are truths from the scripture, the more that you dwell on these realities, the greater peace, joy, freedom and fruit you will see in your life. Greater victory. Greater love. And for those who have not found hope and life in Jesus, the Bible declares that you are still under condemnation. You are still children under God's wrath. And so I tell you the same thing I tell my brothers and sisters. Look to Jesus. Believe that he died on the cross in your place. Believe that God raised him from the dead and you will have life everlasting. You will have peace forevermore. Let's pray. Lord, I <clears throat> recognize that for some this was too much. <laughs> There's too much to cover, too much to consider. Too deep, too real. Lord, and so I pray that you would make it make sense. Father, that you would take the points, the keys, the marks that need to be reflected on, that you would allow each of us to dwell in, in real ways on these truths that were preached this morning. Lord, thank you for the mystery that you are. Lord, these are concepts and truths and realities that we could never put together. And yet, they work because you are God. 
Thank you for revealing yourself to us in these ways, Lord, and help us to grasp and comprehend who you are and what you've done. Lord, let us fight the sin because it is serious. Father, let us believe in your wrath and let us delight in you all the more because we believe you poured your wrath on your son. Thank you, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.